1: Astonishing
2: Legends would like to thank Mint Mobile, Simply Safe, BetterHelp, our contributors at patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible.
3: Tonight, we have more tales to share. Halloween is close. Listeners, beware. Might a spirit have a ghostly plan? Spare some change for a prescient man. We often wonder what's under the bed. Is it a monster or in our heads? A boy wakes up in a pitch black hell, caught in a trap he created himself. Some friends meet for a late night talk, only to find they're being stalked. Stranger tales we can't imagine. Here are three astonishing legends.
4: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. That's how a scary story works. It echoes
3: some ancient fear. It recreates some forgotten terror. Something we'd like to think we'd grown beyond. But it can still scare us to tears. It's something you'd hoped was healed.
4: Chuck Palahniuk. Join us tonight for the second of our three-week-in-a-row series, Your True Halloween Stories, Part 2. And we're back. That we are, folks. Just a quick reminder that this is the second show in a special series for Halloween of three weeks in a row of your Halloween stories. Since there are no dark weeks until the week after next, the junk drawer is temporarily paused for patrons. But we will be back with that on our next main show break. Yeah, and it should be fun as we've already gotten some folks from
3: these stories to agree to come on with some more details about them. So that should be really interesting.
4: Yes, it will. And if you can't get enough of us, we are thrilled to join the OG Paranormal Podcaster Jim Harold on Saturday night, October 29th at his virtual Halloween party. Jim's been doing this for years. It has trivia. It's it's just a lot of fun. We'll be guests in the nine (laughs) o'clock Eastern hour. That's live on Jim's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Jim harold. We hope to see you there. And lastly, thanks to everyone who ordered the Halloween hoodies or long sleeve tees last week. They are now out of the store as our merch department works to fulfill all of the orders so everyone can get one in time for Halloween, hopefully. I got mine two days ago. They came out great. So thank you for your support if you ordered one of those.
3: Yes, thank you so much. And folks, we've got a great show tonight, so we're going to get right into
4: it. Yeah, so we got some great stories tonight. This first one is actually multi-dimensional. I like to call it a 3D story because it, it, it reached <laughs> out of uh, out of bounds. It went out of bounds a little bit.
3: How so? Or do you not
4: want to spoil anything? No, I don't want to spoil it, Uh, but you know, because it involved you.
3: Indirectly, sure, we'll see what people think after we get done with the telling, if there's anything to it, or as a lot of people think, it's just a weird coincidence. We'll see about that. But what I would like to say is that maybe by now, towards the end of part two, perhaps our audience will start to notice a thematic pattern as we develop that some of these stories that we're covering now all have different things that we liked about them that we think are interesting angles and to give you also a variety. So it's not just nine haunted house stories in a row. They each have their own special thing about them that to me made me think and at least the first uh, few here that we've gotten, there's something about them that is more psychological, more intellectual, something that's more philosophical when we consider the supernatural and paranormal angles to this. It's not all, I guess you could say, like uh, CGI and jump scares. That's right. But we may have a few of those. Yeah, we, we may be coming to a few of those which are just downright terrifying. But I, I love these because these stories, as you've heard, are ones that we have a lot of questions about, want to talk about to the person. Because there's a lot more to them than just some freaky thing that happened to you. There's a lot more involvement, I think, at least mentally and emotionally for me. So anyway, that's why I love the stories we've covered so far. But but we thought that these had some aspects that we were looking for in building this anthology. Uh, yes. And also,
4: most importantly, this one takes place in Ohio.
3: Well, that was one <laughs> of your reasons for, yeah, yeah, I think you You have a column in our our Google Doc sheet of just Ohio stories. Yeah, well,
4: back. that's where most of them come from.
3: Well, it is a gateway to the West, uh, you know, sharing that with St. Louis. Yeah. A lot of energy passed through there, you could say, and it had a lot of uh, very powerful, let's say autochthonous, I love that word, oh. energy that came from the land. It's just there. It's just oozing out of the soil. In the uh, the region of Ohio, and I think there's something, uh, there's perhaps something to it. I don't know, maybe it's limestone and, and underground rivers. I don't know. Who knows? All right,
4: Sarah, let's roll this story, which we're calling $5. Okay, folks, we would like to welcome Seth Borgen to Astonishing Legends to tell us a story or share a story with us, I should say, that he sent in to us when we asked everyone to send stuff in. Let's start out. Maybe why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself and your background.
2: I'm Seth Borgen. I'm from Ohio, which seems to be a particularly haunted state.
4: I feel like Ohio is one of the, there is a lot of weirdness in Ohio. There is a lot of weirdness in Ohio.
2: In the spooky paranormal sections at bookstores, it's they have every state. It just always seems like state, 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 Ohio.
4: Yeah. State. <laughs> so are you you've been there your
2: whole life? I was born here. I've lived in a lot of different places. I lived in Mississippi. I lived in Alabama. I lived in Iraq for a little while. Hmm. But at some point, I came back. The story that I'm sharing with you guys is when I was at Ohio State. So I was still in Ohio at the time. So, what's your background? What do you do? I'm uh, an author and college professor. Oh, cool. I'm a fiction writer. When I wrote to you guys, I I kind of had a little uh, paragraph at the beginning, just like, I'm an author, I'm a fiction writer, I tell lies for a living. (laughs) And I'm saying that because I I never write nonfiction. If I were to tell you this story and say that it's true, I have nothing to gain by lying about the story that I'm about to share. It would actually hurt my creative credibility if I were to tell a story, say that it's true when it actually isn't, even though I lie for a living. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it does make sense. It's And right. it points to the veracity of what you wanted to share with us. And, and also you... Um, you have won some awards for your writing, right?
2: Yeah. My book, If I Die in Ohio, which is a collection of short stories, won the New American Fiction Prize. Oh, very oh, cool. Yeah. That's Congratulations.
4: awesome. And when did you publish
2: that? 2019.
4: Great. I love short stories, actually. That's one of my favorite things. So I, I definitely want to check that out.
2: And when you, when you write short stories, when you publish short stories, people always ask, so, so this is you, right? You did these things, and this is you. And it's like, nope, this isn't. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't. me at all. So if at any point I'm awkward in talking about this, it's because I really don't tell true stories a lot.
4: Right. Okay.
2: One thing that's unusual about this story, as I think opposed to other ghost encounters, haunting encounters that it seems people have is there were seven other people in the house. Mm -hmm. We all had experiences to different degrees. So there was never anything isolating for us about these events. It actually, in a weird way, brought us closer. Mm-hmm. So I was never in a situation where I was trying to explain to someone like, no, no, this I'm not crazy. This really, really happened. I was surrounded by other people who were like, yeah, you saw that, well, I'll beat you. I saw this.
3: <laughs> right.
2: And another thing is like, if this is for October, if this story can be something in the realm of something someone would enjoy telling around a campfire, that's a really good use of this story.
3: Yeah. Right. Is this location or this state or this time period in your life the most active, you would say? Or have you not had any other experiences other places?
2: I've definitely experienced strange things, weird coincidences, Mm -hmm. the uncanny. But I think that just happens if you're paying attention.
3: Right, yeah.
2: But this would be the only incident that I would point to and say that this would be difficult to explain. I'm not saying that there aren't rational explanations for everything that happened, but this if someone says, do you have any ghost stories? This is my only story.
3: If you would, please set up the story of what we're about to hear.
2: So this was around 99, 2000. I was a student at Ohio State, and I had just moved into a big house close to campus with seven other people. And almost from the start, strange unexplained, actually pretty stereotypical haunting incidents started happening that to my understanding were to varying degrees witnessed by everyone in the house. Not everyone saw everything, but from what I recall, and all of this is to the best of my, my recollection, it was basically understood by everyone in the house that strange things were happening, such as stereos turning on in rooms where, there, where no one was in water faucets turning on, one of the housemates started sleepwalking. He had no history of sleepwalking. I don't even think he remembered sleepwalking, but he kept wandering around at night and walking into the same bedroom. Mm. And over time, we sort of developed a theory that whatever was going on in the house seemed in some way to be centered on this room. It was a room on the third floor. It's a really big house. There were three floors. There were also cold spots in the house. You know, Like I said, just very, very typical haunting evidence. And when we first moved in the house, this would have been uh, when summer to fall, and there was no air conditioning, so it really should have been very, very hot yeah. all the time, but there were cold spots. Everyone seemed to react to the incidents in their own way. Some didn't want to think about it. Some people, was all they thought about. Some were a little freaked out. Some were a lot freaked out. I was basically skeptical because for two reasons. One, everything that was happening had a, a logical explanation. A stereo turning on in a room where there was nobody could have been set on a timer on purpose or by accident. Water pipes in an old house act strange sometimes. If it's late summer, early fall, and you have cold spots in your house, you're lucky, you know?
3: (laughs) I've often hoped for that, although very cautiously in these hot LA summers where I I don't have very good, uh, I have one wall unit for an AC, and of course it's, 86 degrees and it's like man if i could just get a a friendly ghost to pass through just for a few (laughs) moments to just chill this down but yeah it's not something you you hope for but it is possibly explainable and that's the whistling through the graveyard part you're hoping that it is something pretty mundane we just don't know exactly what it is yet but as you said also people are reacting to this in their own personal way because these are such personal experiences Is there someone within the group who wanted to learn more about it, not just ignore it, other than triangulating what room it was coming from or where the activity seemed to be? I remember
2: someone, I don't exactly remember who it was, contacted some kind of local paranormal group to try to investigate. Okay. He never heard back as far as I know from that group. We asked the landlord about the history of the building. And at some point we learned that the house's history, a part of the history was it was owned by a church and it was used as temporary housing for the homeless. And so those were sort of our attempts to, I don't know, figure out what might be happening. I don't know if anyone was particularly spearheading uh, the investigation or Mm -hmm. or whatever whatever you would call what we were doing. I do remember that several of the housemates really didn't want to think about it. Right. And several of the housemates seemed pretty freaked out about it.
3: Especially the sleepwalking. To be clear, that one sleepwalking roommate would end up in this same room consistently.
2: Yeah. And what was weird about that is... The person living in the room, who's still a good friend of mine, he really rolled with that really well. Um, <laughs> hmm. He would wake up in the middle of the night with the roommate wandering around his bedroom. Wow! Like not really, and he'd like, like, what are you doing here? And and wouldn't really get a response. Like yeah. tell him, like, get leave, get out of here. <laughs> but that particular friend is very, very practical, very pragmatic. It's very difficult to get a rise out of him. So I'm actually not sure how unnerved he was by it. I, yeah. I know that he he was unnerved by that, yeah. but he didn't move out of the room and he kept a pretty good poker face about it. As for me, I was skeptical because I thought that I would never be lucky enough to live in a real haunted house. I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries and being really, really fascinated by the paranormal segments. And I sort of thought about having an actual genuine haunting experience, if that is what this is. I'm sure I'll never know. But the idea of actually having a haunting experience, I always sort of chalked up to winning the lottery. You know, that would Mm -hmm. be nice. What are the chances? So I was having fun with it. Yeah. Probably one of the least fun points of it, and this happened before the main part of the story. And this is when the roommate who was wandering around at night when that mm. was happening and the stereos and the water faucets, someone said, should we sleep with the doors locked? And then someone else said, what if it's in the room with us? How are we going to get out?
4: <laughs> wow. oh, oh, man.
2: man. <laughs> and that was like the first real like gut check moment, mm. like sort of like thinking about this in a way like, oh, yeah, this actually could go (laughs) (laughs) pear-shaped. Yeah. But at that point, I was, like I said, having fun. We were having fun for the most part. Some people weren't having fun. Right. But skeptical for the most part. The skepticism probably explains what happens next. One night, I'm not sure how we got to this point, but I decided to show off, I don't know, be funny. And I decided to try to taunt the ghost into showing itself. So I went to the third floor. One of my housemates was sort of following me to see what I was going to do. I walked into the room and started taunting, taunting Mm -hmm. the ghost, trying to get a response of some kind. I don't remember exactly what I said. It was basically good natured, but it was probably something along the lines of, uh, Come on, ghost. You know, I pay rent here. You don't pay rent here. (laughs) If if you're so scary, do something, ghost. I do know that I said, come on, do that voodoo that you do so well, (laughs) which I stole from an episode of Night Court, I think.
3: Um, (laughs) And, of course, uh, Blazing Saddles in that that great scene. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: And then nothing happened. Immediately, and the housemate who followed me up—he was, he was standing from the doorway. He didn't enter the room. I had entered the room. I guess we sort of shrugged. He walked down the stairs. I did a couple more. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought.
3: You're trying to prove to yourself and and maybe the housemates that it's weird, it's coincidental, but it's random. It's explainable, and there's no context. If you do a taunting like many of the ghost hunters on on the on the TV shows. Uh, We'll try to trigger some reaction. And you were thinking like, well, if I have a direct thing, there's no response. This is random or much more random than than we're thinking.
2: Yeah. I never thought I would be lucky enough, lucky in quotes, to have an experience like this. We were having fun with it. So this was just an extension of that. I think that there were other people in the house who I knew would never do that. So I was just, (laughs) I don't know. I, uh, I honestly couldn't tell you why I did that. Um, <laughs> hubris? I don't know. I was young. I still do really stupid things.
4: <laughs> I and think we, don't all we all do. not we all? I know that I have in the very recent past. So, <laughs> So
2: I did a couple more. Yeah, that's what I thought. Also, I don't say things like this. Like, I don't taunt humans by saying, like, uh, come on,
5: (laughs) person at
2: a bar, (laughs) do something. (laughs) That's what I thought. Like, These were all brand new phrases for me. I do steal from Night Court a lot. But um, (laughs) but everything else was pretty out of character for me. So I was alone in the room. Nothing happened immediately. But like I said, this is around 99, the Austin Powers movies were really really big at the time. Oh, yes, particularly for a bunch of guys in college. One of the housemates had this little plastic. It was like a red. It was red or gray. I, mm-hmm. I don't recall, but it had a it, it had a sticker of Doctor Evil on the front, and there was a button. And when you press the button, like this is such archaic technology at this right. point, but like <laughs> something you would buy at Spencers. It had one button on it, and you press the button, and Doctor Evil would say one million dollars. <laughs> And that's all this thing did. And it floated around the house. It was just an object that I don't, maybe at that point nobody owned it and it just sort of bounced from room to room. Every now and then you you would hear it. It was in the room. I left the room. I was, you know, walked out onto the landing, started to go down the stairs. There was nobody in the room. And I heard in the room over my shoulder, one million dollars. So the box was in the room, the room was empty, something pressed the button. I walked back up, the stairs were dark, just outside the room was dark, it was like an angle of light coming out. I looked into the room and the Dr. Evil box was on the dresser, sitting upright, it hadn't fallen over, it hadn't been touched, the button was just there. It somehow went off. I went downstairs, rejoined everyone else in the house. I remember not really knowing what to do with my body. I pressed myself into a corner, like looking for stability. Couldn't feel my hands, felt cold. Everyone kind of saw me and they they tell me that I looked ashen. And they're like, so wait, what happened? What happened? And I remember like looking at their faces, not really knowing what to say. And for, I don't know for how long but I eventually said something happened. I guess I was—I was probably in shock, like or a mild shock. Uh, Those—I guess those are the symptoms. Um,
3: <laughs> well, you uh, had your reality rocked.
2: Yeah, I had no schema for that. I, I had an interest in it, but what are you like? What are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do with your hands? Uh, what are you supposed to do with your body? What are you supposed to do like one minute, two minutes, three minutes after? something that should be impossible happens. I know this feeling. Like the closest thing I had to a schema is like in Scooby-Doo, when Shaggy and Scooby see something really scary, they run in place in the air.
4: Right. And then
2: (laughs) run out of the room. Like people can't do that. I didn't know really what to do. At that point, I don't know what other people's experiences were, but everything seemed to sort of be at an impasse. Uh, between the humans and mm-hmm. whatever was in the house. As far as I know, what had been occurring, the cold spots and just weird things happening, that continued to happen. But the momentum of your life carries you forward. Right. What do you do when something like that happens? Well, at first, I guess you press yourself into a corner, but eventually you have to go to sleep. Yeah. Eventually you have to wake up. Eventually you have to go to class. And life just has a strange way of pulling you forward. Several months later, I was walking home from campus and I was about a block away from the house and a man approached me and he was wearing slacks and a sweater, he had a trimmed beard, he was wearing glasses. He said to me, I haven't eaten in several days. Any money that you give me, I promise I'll use it on food. Ohio State, that happens frequently. He didn't look homeless, I remember thinking, but then mm. I remember thinking, well, what's a homeless person supposed to like? You know, what's right. a hungry person supposed to look like? like? look like anybody. So I went to give him a dollar. I accidentally pulled out a five. I gave him the five, and he thanked me, and he said, so what's your name? Does it begin with S? It's Seth, isn't it? I was not expecting that, but I said, uh, uh, yeah, it is. And he just sort of nodded he didn't he didn't seem surprised at all that he guessed right. Mm. He just sort of nodded and said, "Yeah, Seth, brother of Cain and Abel, the restorer of the line between good and evil." and he thanked me again and walked away. I thought that was very strange, but it was one of those things that it's sort of like snowballed as time passed, just how strange that was occurred to me. It wasn't until later that I thought maybe these two incidents aren't two separate is that maybe they are in some way related. I do not know my theology. I do not know Seth's role in yeah. the, the story of, of Cain and Abel. I don't know if what he said is accurate. I don't know if I did any more research on, on that that would reveal anything. But the more I thought about it over time, there are some strange tendrils that connect the two stories.
0: Forrest
3: and Scott, thank you for supporting their sponsors. I'm Patrick Wallace. Now back to the show. Reading your story, the first thing, of course, that occurred to me is with any kind of encounter like that is, as we're talking earlier, we go to cinematic moments. And and mine was uh, The Exorcist. Could you help out an old altar boy father? You know, seeing that that strange guy on the subway who seems to know it's something more than that. You lock eyes with this person who's a stranger, and suddenly they know slightly more than they should. And was that a message?
2: If they are connected, what was that trying to say? Was it some kind of a peace offering? Yeah. Was it just reminding me that whatever was in the house, its reach didn't stop at the door? Right. And maybe they're not related at all.
3: That's, uh, in the true sense, a synchronicity, two separate unrelated incidents, but connected have meaning. If you then take what happened at the house as a real thing, whatever force was there had control of physical objects, electronic objects, and people in their sleep state. Because I always wonder about this. Like, you know, I've heard people describe faucets turning on. Well, you need a little twisting action there. It's not a button that's pressed or this and that, and it usually doesn't go off. And for something electronic, you wonder, what is triggering the Austin Powers button to get it to play? What's triggering your roommate to get up and sleepwalk and arrive at the same room every time he does it? You wonder about the level and the breadth of control. And if this is connected, then you wonder, like, was that person compelled to say that? Is that yeah. not a person? It wasn't a hallucination. You gave the money to someone or something. Yeah.
4: Are you still in touch with some of these roommates?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm still in touch with uh, some of them. Mostly the one whose room it was. Okay, and mm. I know he's still in contact with most of the people from the house.
4: Okay, and has there been any discussion about it since now that you you know you got, it's a few years on? You guys look back on it. Do you ever talk about the weirdness there?
2: Yeah, sometimes. Uh, we don't come up with any new conclusions, right? Right, um,
4: <laughs> just like us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there there are any. In a weird way, it brought us closer together. At least at the height of of the incidents. Mm-hmm. In a strange way, it had a positive impact on us outside of the incidences that were terrifying. But even when they were terrifying, they were terrifying because it was either the jump scare start, which could be a cat, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Right. A cat could jump out at you and, and like well, that's scary, but that doesn't mean that there's inherently something evil happening on top of that, uh, none of the incidents has ever ever felt malicious right right We scared ourselves sometimes, but it never felt like something was trying to hurt
3: us, just communicate. This story has in my mind it's it's making me think and uh, ruminate about connections. And as people will say, like, well, it's just a coincidence, and maybe it's a little weird. And the connection that the house was formerly a church's homeless refuge. You know, you don't always have to give, be charitable. You have to decide if you can afford it first. But you don't have to be cruel. You don't have to be disrespectful. You can be polite. And a decent human being in that regard, even if you can't give anything, Because you never know who you're talking with. Could it be an angel or a demon? And it's a bit of a test. How are you going to react? Out of decency? Or is it going to be uh, something petty and uh, just going to make the other person feel bad? Like I said, it doesn't cost anything to be polite and nice to people.
2: Yeah. Like I said, some of the tendrils between the two events, um, there is the, uh, that it belonged to a church and Mm. the religious reference. It was a refuge for the homeless. It was a homeless person. The fact that they were both money related right. Oh, <laughs> and right. the fact that in, in one of the incidences, I was an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> not not
3: <laughs> and, that bad. Yeah. It's just, <clears throat> uh, well, I guess that's the thing because people would say like, okay, well, I mean, you don't have to be polite because none of this is real. It's a bunch of dudes overactive imaginations. Some weird stuff's happening, but you're scaring yourselves, as you said. So you don't have to be respectful, you know, because this is all make-believe.
2: I also sometimes think that if what is beyond the veil is trying to communicate with you, they sort of just have to use the tools that they have at their disposal. And it's like, well, I've got this plastic Dr. Evil box. Like, that's kind (laughs) of ridiculous, but this is what he asked for. So yeah.
4: Yeah. (laughs) The other thing that I think about too, when that, if you believe any of this at all, whenever there's a a crossover of an actual action coming from something like that, when you say, okay, I'm going to put this here, let's see if action is taken is, it might not necessarily mean that the button was physically depressed. It might just have been as simple as, I don't know what you have to do. I always think about Ghost when he's trying to push the coin up the door. It's like maybe... (laughs) Maybe it's just as simple as whatever's on the other side is sending a small charge to the speaker to the chip because those things have a little yeah. tiny chip in them that plays the sound bite, and maybe it doesn't have to push the button because it takes even less effort to send the amount of energy that needs to broadcast that that line. but then you're getting into weird technical stuff, <laughs> but so here's the thing that we want to tell you, and I'll throw it to Forrest here in a, in a bit of this, but when we asked for people to send stuff in for this series of episodes that we're doing in October, we got close to 100 submissions of stories, and we're going, we're trying to go through all of them. It was a lot more than we expected, and I had a particular block that I was supposed to go through, and Forrest was going through some other stuff, so I read your story that you sent, and I was like, oh, this is really amazing, and I was like, there's a lot of interesting things about this story, and I like that there's this real-world encounter that seems like it could be possibly paranormal and then i was you know was thinking about the incident of the exchanging of money and that sort of thing and then i can't remember forrest i had was not even i think super familiar with the story at a point that he just threw out an aside to me so forrest i'll let you take it over here
3: well As uh, we were going over the story, Scott and I will often get on Zoom just while I'm at home and and not the uh, the little recording booth here, and he will be at his desk, and we'll just kind of discuss what we have to do, talk through uh, story ideas, how do we want to do this, go through the logistics, and it was one of those long sessions. Plus, we just like chatting with each other. We're (laughs) we're genuine good friends, and that's just kind of fun, and it also gets our heads wrapped around uh, the topic at hand recording. So we were discussing the stories. So as Scott said, to divide and conquer, we broke off uh, a bunch of early selects, and he was going through those and writing summaries and, and uh, compiling those. I had another chunk of, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, 20, 30 stories that I was reviewing, and that's how we're going to go through this, because there is, uh, we were very surprised at the voluminous amount of,
4: <laughs> just amazed at how many stories have come through, all great in their own way. One other quick note, the set that I was in had already been evaluated by Tess. So Tess had gone through and picked. So gone through for the set that I particularly had, she had gone through and selected down some, and yours was in that mix just to like, say that it had gone through a couple of filters. yeah. Right,
3: so she'd taken a big chunk of the early ones that had come in and uh, made her picks and selects, and that section, that's what Scott was going through, and I was kind of reading his summations and and kind of skimming over the stories, like, okay, yeah, and then we're going to plug this into a uh, a Google Sheets doc and to keep track of it, and we're just kind of casually having fun, just chit-chatting about it, and we're talking, the story kind of comes up, and uh, this would be early evening, so it's like maybe 5, 6 o'clock, and I've got the, um, the windows, uh, the blinds are up, right? So the blinds are up. I think the window's open. My desk sits right close to the front facing wall of my apartment. So, and just to set this up, I'm very close to a sidewalk with a lot of people walking and it's semi busy, but a lot of people are walking by. And even though my desk is so close to that window, the front door is shut, but I believe I had uh, the window open because it's finally cooled down enough in L.A. to to have a window open and enjoy a breeze. But a lot of times people will drop off stuff. Delivery guys, the Amazon guy, the UPS, FedEx, the postman, he'll come by and I might not notice them is what I'm saying, is that even though they have to pass by the window if, if I'm working. So we're just talking and I think uh, I was going to go over to the door and just open it up for a breeze and... I opened the door, which was not locked. And then I looked down and I have a screen door and I don't believe that that was locked, but underneath the screen door tucked in was a folded up $5 bill. <laughs> and, uh, it was folded in threes and I'm talking to Scott on my, uh, iPad so he can kind of hear me and, and, uh, I don't know if he can see me, but I just said, Oh, somebody just left a $5 bill under my screen door. And that was my first, you know, I always go by first impressions. It's like, because the next thing I thought, like, well, well did I drop this? Because, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll pay for something, you have loose bills, you take your keys out of your pocket, and a bill comes with it. But I'm pretty good about putting the bills back in my wallet as soon as I make the transaction. And I thought, like, well, I didn't buy anything today. That's kind of weird. The $5 bill, the Sawbuck, was um, old and kind of worn and a little dusty, just slightly dirty. And so nothing smudge, but it's it's not like uh, one of the bills. You know, like I said, you you put in your wallet. It just had a kind of a, a bit of a dusty feel. Now it's underneath the door, but it's just like okay. My first thought is that you know sometimes I've got uh, neighbors, uh, eight units to the building, and you know sometimes people will will do stuff. They'll be nice, and you know around Halloween, and Christmas, they'll drop off a little packet of cookies, or you know hi, I'm new to the building, and we're in unit number seven. You know come by and say hello, and people are just being nice. And I, I th- first thought like, oh, did somebody, did they owe me money, or did they, did they wreck something of mine? <laughs> it's like, well, here's five bucks. Sorry about the mail. Sorry about that, that important letter. But here's five bucks. I just thought somebody had left it there as, uh, you know, again, again, payment for something. I was like, but it doesn't make any sense. Scott, again, because he was uh, really soaked into this story, was like, wait, what happened? Okay, dude, that's something's going on. I was just like, well, you know, yeah, it's
4: part of the story, I guess. I didn't really make the connection, like you said. It's just kind of... Um, <laughs> it's like you said earlier about how it snowballs after the fact. The more you think about it, it starts to snowball.
3: My last thought on this yeah. is is the yeah.
4: context. Like you said,
3: show me something. Ah, That's what I thought. You're just... You're not real. Let, let's see something. And then you get an answer. When we're talking about this story, I mean, we were still yeah. talking about it. And I go to open the door to like let some breeze the in. Timing. And just, there it is. Right? Now, if this has happened... Six months ago, it'd be weird, odd, but maybe not connected to the story. If this happened six months from now, maybe you can kind of connect it but it when it happens right as you're talking about this, it's like, yeah, they, that guy you know gave that guy a five dollar bill, like oh, excuse me, one second, let me just get up to me, I'm gonna say it's a little bit more than just random coincidence. I don't know what that means, Seth, what do you think about that
2: um my first thought is forest had had you eaten like did you maybe look like you hadn't eaten for a couple of
3: days <laughs> no, i was yeah. uh We're forced forced you know, it was I, me I, it I, was I, me I, in ohio i never looked at the for one but <laughs> yeah it was nothing i asked for or was was thinking about and it just you know manifested or materialized There's two ways to go about it. The rational part is, uh, yeah, it's my $5 bill fell out of my pocket, even though I don't remember, you know, I don't recall making a monetary exchange that day involving a change in a $5 bill. It's weird that a neighbor would do that and not leave a note, you know, if it was for something. It would be weird that a stranger would do that unless they're just being like, I'm going to be randomly nice and uh, pay it forward $5 at a time to this stranger here. You know, and maybe that's what it is. The other part, if you want to look at it paranormally or supernaturally, is that uh, somehow it's a little message like, well, here you go. Here's a little button to your story. And Scott and I are always joking about finding a hook or a button to these stories. But yeah, I, I don't know.
4: Forrest, do you keep your cash in your wallet all the time or like? Yeah, usually. Do you have like loose cash in your pocket like that comes out when you take your keys out to go in your apartment? Like I said, if
3: I just come down, uh, you know, maybe I'm at the convenience store or, you know. Right. wherever. Maybe I just bought a uh, <laughs> carne asada burrito down the street. Yeah, there might be cash, but that didn't happen that day or the days previous. There there was no transaction. So it would be odd if that was the case. I feel like maybe you should mail it to <laughs> Seth. It might be his. <laughs> uh, well, you, you would think though that
4: uh, it would just, whatever was there would just be able to find him. if it, If there's that spooky action at a distance, something that I felt like I've noticed with our show in the past is that I feel like sometimes we cross paths with things that want to get on the show for some reason, (laughs) that want (laughs) They want you to notice. Yeah, Yeah, to get noticed. And when when we're in our vetting process and something like that happens, it means more to me than it used to when we started the show. When we started the show, I'd have been like, oh, that's weird. Anyway, you know, but I've gotten to a point now where I I, I can't even remember the specific instances. I feel like um, we are in touch with mediums and psychics. And of course, not all those folks are real, but we know a few that seem to be pretty much the real deal. And I've seemed to remember one of them saying, in reference to another story we were covering, this thing knows that you're going to bring attention to it to your point, Forrest, and we're starting to debate the physics and pushing the penny up the door and all that. It's like, why didn't it just give the $5 bill back to Seth? It can do whatever it wants. And then when we get back to the point of you guys locking the doors in your house, it's like, does a door really matter to this thing? It matters to you. You might be trapped in there, but it can go back and forth. So to me, that was like, okay, we need to put this one in the mix for these uh, series of episodes. That was the message that it sent me.
2: The more I think about it, and particularly during like the conversation that we're having today, the thing that I keep thinking about is thematically the idea of doors, mm, like mm. moving into that house was opening a door. And yeah. we were talking about locking the doors and taunting. The taunt was me trying to thrust the door open. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote the email to you guys, i had never written this down before. I sometimes would tell the story, but not not a lot. So sending it to you was <laughs> making, like, opening the door for you guys as well, which I w- I didn't even think about that, and I didn't think about, like, how it might affect other people in their lives.
3: It's that viral nature of it, you know, when we were talking about skinwalkers at the Pentagon in that book and talking to George Knapp and Colin Kelleher, somehow there is some kind of viral Nature to it. Quickly before I forget, have you ever been back to that house again, or don't know what happened to it?
2: After we moved out, uh, I've been past it. I have seen it. Other people have lived there. Other mm-hmm. groups of you know college kids.
3: It, it's mostly for college uh, student housing.
2: Yeah, it's on a street that is almost, if not one hundred percent, really close to one hundred percent. All of all of the houses are for people who go to. Ohio state. I don't live in Columbus anymore. I uh, okay. I live in Akron up north.
3: I now have the urge to anonymously mail that $5 bill to the <sighs> the address at the house. and uh just saying to whom it may concern well you do you want to close the loop like i said i it's probably nothing i didn't get a a, don't ask me what do i know it's like i I
4: was just gonna say i don't know i feel like you should frame it like if like if we had opened a quick mart or something it would be the that'll be our first payment from a ghost to astonishing legends you know that is an interesting angle, yes. And then, uh, do you know where it is right now? Yeah, it's on my table at home. I didn't bring it in because
3: I mean, here's the other thing. Oh, right, it's like, right. Because you're in the studio. Even if yeah, this was but... a YouTube show, it's like here's yeah. the five dollar bill, and people are like, yeah, it's just it, I could be, dude, do like, five dollar yeah, okay. bill. Okay, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> there's really nothing. You, but look, yes, yeah, so more keeping greedy. the serial numbers yeah. on your money
4: where you before you get uh, <laughs> We're walking not, around with it.
3: There's no explanation. You're not going to get an answer unless uh, something again happens and it's weird, and then it what does that mean? It's just a, um, I think at the very least take meaning from it or not or ignore it. But to me, it's just like, it's a little, hello, we're, we're listening, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're paying attention because it's the nod to you. It's the pressing of the button <laughs> and it's something silly, but we often find that there's a trickster element to this. But what is that? I, you know, again, what, what was that guy dreaming or thinking when he's sleepwalking? It's just very odd, but it made a connection to us. And and as Scott said, uh, once that happens, like, yeah, we should tell this story. (laughs) And this would Hmm. be, and maybe whatever is out there listening is uh, uh, hopefully amused, pleased, uh, satisfied.
2: (laughs) I would hate it if I opened the door for you guys and and this was a different experience. Like I said, it was always a very positive experience for us outside of jump scares, and our own imaginations.
3: Yeah. Don't worry about that. You have, uh, there's no legal uh, obligation here or, or connection of liability. Uh, yeah. But that
4: has happened to uh, podcasting friends of ours as well. Yeah. You talked about your karma when you got the five out and handed it over. And, and I think we've all been in those positions, but you know maybe that after the taunting, maybe that was a little bit of a test of you and your humanity. And perhaps you passed in that moment you could have been real nasty and given over nothing. Yeah. And if all this stuff was connected, that might've led to an entirely different experience at the house in near future, you know?
2: Oh, sure. Like I think I've, like I've said several times before it happened, I always sort of hoped that something like that would happen, not believing that, that it would. Most of the time, when I think about it in retrospect, I guess I sort of shrug it off thinking, well, I think everyone has a story kind of like that. But then when I do like writing it down and then sort of thinking about it again, new stuff comes to light and it sort of takes on a a new life and and it uh, snowballs. I have no problem with telling the story because I'm a writer and a college professor and these are the two professions that – like get less respect than any other profession
3: out there. Uh, No, I I think it's podcasters, seriously.
4: Yeah, Yeah, believe me, we're down the list.
2: (laughs) Well, it's like, I would imagine it's similar to
4: podcasters.
2: Like everyone thinks that they can be a podcaster, just like everyone Uh, thinks they can be a writer.
4: I'm married Um, to a writer. I know that's true.
2: Kurt Vonnegut once said, I love everything about being a writer except the way my neighbors treat me. (laughs) There you That's go. A great quote. Yeah.
4: Okay, so uh, Seth, before we let you go, uh, where can our listeners find uh, any of your publications, any books you've got out, that sort of thing? How can they how can they purchase that?
2: The thing that they could probably purchase is my book. If I Die in Ohio, it's a collection <laughs> of short stories. You can buy it at or order it from your your favorite brick and mortar bookseller. Okay. It's literary fiction. They are not ghost stories. They uh, they are not ghost stories in that if there are ghosts, if they are monsters, they are inside you and not chasing you around the room,
4: <laughs> right. trying to give you five dollars. Yes, <laughs> take it or give it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Should okay. we lock the Should we lock the doors? Oh, I don't know. He <laughs> he might give us five dollars. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs>
4: Well, Seth, I just want to, we both want to thank you so much for coming on the show and telling your story. It's, I think it's a very compelling story. And um, as I said, I felt a little bit like the $5 bill that came to force. uh, Transom (laughs) was the red flag that we absolutely needed to share it. So thanks for taking the time. And thank you for the
2: $5. (laughs) 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 No, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: This is Dustin Komorski from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And when I'm not hunting ghosts, I'm listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back
4: to the show. Okay, so yeah, I feel like that story really encompasses how sometimes it does seem like the Hmm. topics of the show are reaching out to us in our personal lives. I know we must be looking for that to happen. I think I probably am at this point. But that whole thing—that right. whole thing—was just a little bit odd. Well, I, maybe I believe in it more than you, and you're the one that experienced it. So I don't know. I feel like I got a tip. Yeah,
3: like a literal. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A you tip did. jar. You got a yeah, tip. It was like, oh, not too shabby. Here's you should put a little, a little jar out there you. in the door. Okay, you know what? That's something you don't do. It's something I learned while helping uh, out my my dad during the summers at work when uh, we temporarily had a, an office downtown. Yeah. When this is what I've noticed, when you leave the door open, and of course I'm talking about people, when you leave the door open, things walk in. Oh yeah. And that could be people, could be that no, is is I just noticed it's like uh it's just a psychological thing. When we left the doors open, you'd get some very strange people coming in through the door who normally wouldn't. Yeah, that's true. But you've invited them, you've opened the door for them, literally. So in this case though, it's like just leave it at the door. And you don't want to put out a receptacle, because I guarantee, nowadays at least, somebody's going to fill it with something you don't want to deal with. Yeah, that's a good point. And you can take that however you want.
4: (laughs) All right, what about the next story here? Yeah, this next one, this is a great one. There's a couple things about it that stood out to us, and you'll hear us talking about that shortly. But after we recorded our guest, who we're going to refer to just as Bill tonight, Mm -hmm. it became clear to me, anyway, that this is something that was very traumatic and real for him. And all these years later, he's still trying to deal with it.
3: Yeah, I can uh, only imagine, and there's some ways that no one who hasn't gone through it cannot imagine. Well, let's take a listen.
5: Oh, hello. My name's Bill. I live in Connecticut. This story takes place in the 80s. I was a young teen, and it's kind of stuck with me my whole life. I haven't really talked about it in like an open forum like this. I've talked about it when we've done ghost stories at work, ghost stories between friends, but it... It's never really been something I've talked about until now. And uh, I think it's good to get a chance to because I would have loved to hear a similar story. Would it help me validate maybe a little bit? That's why I've always listened to your show, listened to a lot of other shows, just looking for something similar because there's some things that I haven't quite heard. I'm glad that you say
4: that because a lot of times when folks come on
5: our show and tell a story or we have
4: somebody on, other folks will contact us and say, oh, this has happened to me too. So if that happens after this, we'll certainly connect you with folks that maybe have experienced something similar. Awesome. That'd be great.
3: There are similar themes with your story. There are rhymes and parallels and motifs, but yours, of course, and everyone's has slightly different details. So it makes us wonder do these things, this phenomena, whatever it is that's operating, does it have a set guideline? But there can be variations in the experience, not only by the thing that's causing it, but also by the experiencer. It's just fascinating. And so you had some elements that uh, some people may recognize, especially, you know, from all of our scary movies and stuff, but it's something that's very personal that we realize that happened to you. And so What you can't really relay is how you felt during it. But go ahead and try as best you can to relay the emotions that go with it. Because again, it's not just the thing that happens, the experience. It's also how people deal with it and how they come to terms with it.
5: All right. So this story begins when I was, again, a young teen. When I was younger, my sister and I shared a room. I have an older sister, two years older. And she got to the point where she wanted to have her own room. So she moved to a separate one. And then I had my own room for the first time. I started having this very stereotypical ghost story stuff, but started hearing noises at night. I would wake up, thought I heard something. I realized eventually these things are coming from my closet. Sometimes I would just think I heard voices. Sometimes I would think, I remember a very early moment was, I got up, I could have sworn my mother was taking a bath. I heard someone in the bath, water splashing. The bathroom was right opposite my bedroom. I got up to ask her something, and then I realized that sound was coming from my closet, and I thought that was very strange. Not scary, because it wasn't a scary sound. It was just out of place. Another time, very soon after that, I could have sworn I heard the sound of, like, what I took to be a dining room. People eating, talking. That telltale sound of, like, forks and knives scraping on, like, a plate. I got up. Again, not scared, just seemed out of place. And these things would happen. I would open the door. There'd be nothing in my closet. I wasn't necessarily scared. Just a little confusing at that point. What started to happen as time went on was I started to have a recurring nightmare where this is something I never did in real life. I wasn't this much of a punk in real life. But in my dream, I would open my closet and there was... A pile of toy, old toys, junk in there. I had some monster gloves from when I uh, was a werewolf for Halloween. I would put them positioned so it looked like there was something in this pile of garbage trying to climb its way out. Then I would call my sister in and say, oh, I heard a weird noise in my closet. Would you look for me? And she'd open up, see the gloves, get scared, and run out of the room. Then I would laugh. Again, this was kind of out of character for me, but in the dream I did it. I would laugh turn around then these gloves would be moving real very scary (laughs) clawed hands and I would see red eyes looking from the darkness of the closet and I would wake up I would wake up at this point this became a recurring dream I would have it all the time I would always wake up at that point I would see the eyes see the hands moving and I would wake up and then I when I woke up originally I was sure again you wake up out of a dream it could be a fuzzy time but I was sure that the doorknob was rattling. So at some point, I preemptively took the interior doorknob off my doorknob. I went in there with the Allen key, took the doorknob off, Just kept having this dream. Eventually, when I would wake up, I was sure I heard the door clicking shut. I was sure of it. Again, I was waking up out of a dream, so I couldn't be 100% sure, but I was convinced I was still kind of young and I was scared this was scary at this point it was scary it wasn't just strange it was becoming scary and it was happening a lot so eventually what I did was I pulled the pins out of the hinges of the door because I wanted to know uh, if something was coming out of my closet I just wanted some heads up so I pulled the pins leaned the door up in its frame I had those I don't know if you guys are familiar with them those long boxes of comics maybe Mm -hmm. three feet long
3: yeah absolutely.
5: I had my comic collection in there I had three of them I stacked them up, one on top of the other. Now, this made me feel a little better because I thought if something came out of my closet in the middle of the night, I'd wake up, knock all, the, would knock all these books over. And then I had this dream. This is the last time I had the dream and it was different this time. I had the dream, I called my sister in, she got scared, ran away, and this time I went after her. I felt terrible. Every other time I was, I thought it was funny. In this version of the dream, I felt bad, so I ran after her, I ran down the stairs, down into our living room and then we had a short hallway that connected the living room to the kitchen and there was a door in there that went to the basement. I ran into there because I thought she went in the kitchen and a door shut to the kitchen, a door shut behind me to the living room and then I was in a little, still in my dream, in this little small hallway, very small. These doors didn't exist in real life, but in my dream they were there and they shut. They had at some point been in the house because the part of the hinges was still there, but they were, I was there and then It was scary, and I woke up, and I was standing up. I was in complete darkness, and I thought I was there. I thought somehow I was there, even though it didn't really make sense. And I started to feel around, and I was in what I thought was that space, a small area, not very big, solid walls all around me, and I was really afraid. At this point, I was really afraid. I don't know that I've ever been that scared Before that, certainly, and uh, maybe never since. And I I was wide awake at this point. I was standing up. I started to punch the walls around me. I was screaming. I was screaming very loudly. I didn't know what was happening. I, I knew it wasn't a dream anymore. I knew it was awake. And I kept punching the walls. I was getting a little bit frantic and desperate. And I eventually... I hit something with my fists and I, something gave away. I saw a little crack of light. I let into it. I started hitting it, punching it, kicking it. And then there was a big crash. There was a flood of not bright light, moonlight. And I realized that I had been inside my closet. Somehow, without opening that door or because the bo- I'd knocked over the boxes of comics, they were still settling down. They had sprayed out. Like a machine, you know, just like a machine gun spray, comic book, because they were in those plastic sleeves. Mm. They slid everywhere. The door went crashing down. And I was super confused and afraid. I didn't understand what had happened at all. I didn't, and I ran to my parents' room, and it wasn't even embarrassing. I mean, I was too old for that, certainly. I dove into bed between them, and I just lay there until the morning. And I thought that was it, it was scary I didn't want that to happen again so what started to happen immediately after that, and I was lucky because it was the summer but I would stay up until the sun came out and I started going down to the beach right when the you know, it was starting to get a little light and I would just walk around, wait for the sun to be up shining in the windows and then I would go back and go to sleep I'd wake up like 11 or 12, you know, and try to go about my business but I was afraid to sleep in that room in the dark and So this went on, I got into this weird habit of, you know, staying up till dawn, walking around outside or riding my bike. And then one day, and this was probably almost exactly a week later, I was just in my yard and, you know, the sun was just starting to come up. It wasn't, it was a little bit light. And I went to this part of my yard, which was near my room and like at the end of our driveway it was just kind of a the driveway ended there was a little picket fence there was a little dead end of the yard leaves there a lot of gravel and rocks collected and i we had a hammock there and i was just hanging out there and then i felt like i walked into a spider web and this is something i've heard other people say about other paranormal experiences but i felt like the spider web was on my entire body i was I had clothes on i had but i felt it everywhere you do that thing, it's uh, instinctual and reflexive where you try to, like, scrape it off. And, you know, I was thought it was a spider web. It's, it's plausible it as a tree overhanging, and it was a very tight part of the yard. And then I realized that there was movement around me. And I, again, all this dead leaves, you know, uh, debris and gravel was just kind of moving. It was kind of swirling and... This was weird and I stopped moving for a second. For a moment I was I thought maybe I'm just in the world's biggest spider web. I walked into a web. There's a web connected to everything. And I just I stumbled into it and everything's moving around. So I so I stopped moving, but everything was everything was just kind of swirling and it was weird because it was like it was slow. This wasn't but it was like little eddies. Like maybe when you're on a bridge and you look over and you see that little eddy in the water. But it was great. It was small rocks and leaves and all the stuff in the yard, and it was quiet. It wasn't. It wasn't much of a noise. The sun was just coming up. I could see it all, and it was around me. I don't know for feet. I don't know how far, but and it was really strange. And I was taken aback. I was a little bit stunned because this <laughs> this was it was super weird, and I was just there looking, and then a the little. One of those maple half of a maple seed mm-hmm. pod. Mm-hmm. We used to peel them, yeah, uh, the back and stick them on your nose. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you call them other than that, but we used to throw them up in the air and they would come down like helicopters. Yeah, helicopters. Yeah. We would call them helicopters. Yep. That's what we did. Right? Too. Yeah. So all this stuff was swirling, but out of it, this one little and it was a pretty good size. It it just it came up off the ground slowly. This was, everything happened pretty slow. Things were moving slowly, but this thing came up off the ground and again I'm like maybe. I thought I was in a web this thing was somehow part of the web was attached to this and I was pulling it up somehow but it came up and it was in front of my face it stopped directly in front of my face it was just there and kind of slowly f- wrote like like we were in zero gravity and this was weirder than even the other stuff cuz this was right it was, was right in front of my face I could see it I was staring at it and it was slowly turning and again in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is hanging from a piece of a web or something. It's just weirdness. But as I was looking at it, it came towards my face. Maybe it was two feet from my face. But it came at me pretty fast, like directly at me. It would have hit me right in my nose, but I kind of turned. It hit me in my cheek, and it wasn't just the impact of this little thing. It was a hand. It felt like a hand was holding this thing. I felt the force of, like, a person... Not like they were punching me, but like they were pushing this thing into my face. And it pushed me back a little. I stumbled back because I wasn't expecting that. I was scared too, but I was stunned. I wasn't like, this wasn't me pulling back because I was trying to get away from it. I, it. It took me by surprise, but I got pushed back. I stumbled backwards and then that was it. I was terrified again. <laughs> I uh, I ran into the house. I ran up to my parents' bedroom and I jumped right between them. I, I just leapt right between them and into their bed. And that was it. I never slept in my room again. We left that house when I went to college. So I had done it three years. I slept on the couch every night. I slept on the couch. On occasion, my mother would say, you know, you need to sleep in your room. Stop this. If I fell asleep in my room, I would wake up behind the chair in the dining room. I presumably had slept to walk. This is not something I normally did. But on the rare occasions that she asked me to sleep in my room. I, I couldn't do it. I would wake up somewhere else. I never slept in that room again. Bill, you said that you'd always felt that corner of the yard
3: was, there's something was wrong with it.
5: Yeah, there were a couple other things because, like, A, I mean, one thing, like my sister moved out of the room and I wasn't used to being by myself. But I, As soon as it got dark in that room, I felt like weirdly anything could happen in a bad way. And it was uncomfortable, and maybe that's just, you know, having your own room for the first time. My sister, her room was adjacent to mine in such a way that, like, my closet shared a wall with her room. She had her bed against that wall, It was, but it was just a box spring the mattress on the carpet. It wasn't, there was no frame. But she would wake up sometimes, and that her bed would be three feet away from the wall. It doesn't make any sense. It couldn't have slid or anything. It was on carpet. And I'd help her move it back, and it was not, uh, that was weird. And I remember one time I was in her room looking out down at that part of the yard where I'd had my second experience, and I saw it looked like a comet, like a ball of light, but it had a tail. and had a tail, and it looked a little bit fiery, but it was bright white, just white. It was a white thing, and it was, I don't know, again, what you, when gymnasts do that thing with the ribbon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they're like, twir- it looked like that. It was twirling, and this tail was following it and my sister thought it was a fox and it was the fox's tail but it was just it was not so white but that was down there it was things all only happened. i wasn't i never felt weird in the rest of my house and i slept on the couch without incident every night for three years you know so i don't know i think it was something about even when i would sleep in my room when i would sleepwalk i'd wake up in the dining room which was right in that corner of the house behind the chair uh so I don't know. I just thought those are weird things. Have you experienced any other stuff like this
4: outside of that house since then, or it's all isolated to
5: this time period? No, it, uh, nothing like this. And I, when my kids were young and they'd be like, I had, I just I had this kind of dread that they'd come in one night and say, I had this bad dream and then say, Oh, there was something in my closet or, and I was waiting for that to happen. It, it never did. <laughs> it never did. I think we're past <laughs> that point, but that's good. Uh, yeah. I was, uh, I was waiting for that with a little bit of dread moving back to the incident with the closet. That's one of the
3: most dramatic things. Just so people understand essentially what happened is that you dreamed the same recurring nightmarish dream that you ran downstairs and you felt then boxed in into the small space of hallway, which there used to be doors. That's fascinating, but no longer those doors have been taken off from, I think you said from the kitchen and and, uh, Mm -hmm. another room, living room except now in your dream, those had shut. When you wake up, you think you're still trapped in that dark space of hallway with the door shut. But it turns out you're actually in your closet.
5: Yes, which I have barricaded to protect myself from ghosts. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Well, here's
3: the thing is that when people start to think about this and picture this in their minds, somehow if you were in your closet and were sleepwalking, You then would have to put the door back on, which was off the hinges, and
5: someone piled those comic book boxes up against the door again. Yes. And that's what makes that very strange. Now, that's entirely possible. I was asleep. So I don't know what happened. This is why, for me, the second thing that happened is a little more frightening because I was awake for all of that part. And the first part, I don't know how. I mean, it's scary (laughs) because it's scary because I don't know. What got me there and there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for like scary things but i don't know i mean i don't know i don't know how i got there but let's say even if you had slept
4: walked into the closet in order to do that because it was off the you had pulled the pin so it was in place but the pins were out of the hinges right is that yeah what we, it was being held up by com, the comic books okay in the boxes right so you would have had to get up move the comic books remove the door get into the closet, yeah. put the door back. And then if you put the door back without the hinge pins, how would you get the comic books back in front of it? Is that even possible? No. I mean, someone would have to do it. Someone would have to do it. Yeah. What it seems like is that you did, Forrest and I were talking about this, you, you were a ported, a portation. Like you went from a normal part of your house, even if you had sleptwalked to a different section of it, into a closed door, you pulled off like a uh, Houdini-esque reverse magic trick, essentially. Yes. Wow.
3: (laughs) That's amazing. I found this kind of um, funny in how a a kid thinks. You didn't want to seem crazy back then, so you took the doorknob off the inside of the closet door, but you left the doorknob to the outside still on so it would look
5: normal. Is that right? I was worried about I don't know what my family thought for some reason, uh, what other people thought. I didn't talk about this to my family. I didn't, I don't know why my parents, it's weird that they just thought it was okay that I slept on the couch for like three years. I mean, most, like a lot of my teenage years. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't talk about it. I, I, the first time I talked about it was probably much later after we'd left that house. Did they know about the closet incident? At the time, no. So did you
4: just clean it up and put the closet back on, the door back on its hinges and put everything back and just didn't tell anybody?
5: Yeah. Wow. I put something bigger in front of the closet door, (laughs) but it was never my intention to, my intention was never to sleep in that room again. Right. I was done with it. And I, I, again, I wasn't, there was nothing else about that house elsewhere that was scary to me or even strange. So to be clear,
3: no one else, in the house and your family knew what you were going through or what you had experienced and you don't know of any experiences they may have
4: had aside from your sister's bed being moved though.
5: Yeah, I know about that.
4: When did you and her talk about that at all?
5: Yeah. uh, And she said that she had another experience with, I don't know if I wrote about it or not originally, but she was watching TV in there and I guess I was with her. I don't remember this, but we had rabbit ears, you know, it was that (laughs) era they started to shake and we weren't, close enough to the road or anything that this would happen, but they were shaking pretty dramatically. And then she said, stop it. And they just, they just froze when she said, stop it. So she thought that was weird. And she thought that had something to do with her bed. I mean, she knows what happened to me now. We've talked about it since, but I don't know that I knew. What about the house, the history of the house? These are the default questions is,
4: was it a thousand years old? Did anyone ever die in it? All that kind of stuff. The
5: house was built in 1947. I know that because, Uh you know, there were bricks in the foundation. They said 1947, they were stamped. Other than that, I don't know. It was one of the older houses in our neighborhood, but I drive by sometimes to say to the kids, this is where I grew up. And, you know, I just wonder if weird things happen to whoever's lived there since. They've made it look nicer. They've they've done an addition and stuff. So I just, I don't know. I wonder, I, you know, if I was a different kind of person, I'd knock on the door and ask, but that might be a little too much.
3: <laughs> I ask people sometimes because they may have a gut feeling that I think something was trying to communicate with me, mess with me in a trickster way. I mean, that sounds a little bit like that, especially with the closet. It's like, oh, you're afraid of something come out of the closet. Why don't we put you in the closet? And you can experience that from our perspective or just as a weird joke. And then the incident in the yard is... Something is there and causing a disturbance, maybe by just its own presence, bleeding into this world, and it picks up a leaf, a little helicopter thing, and it touches that to your cheek purposefully. Listening to your story, that's the sense I got, is that it didn't just fly up or the wind kicked it up and it, and it oh, kind of no. smacked you on the face. Something pressed it to your cheek to get your attention or to just touch you, just to have an interaction where... It couldn't, perhaps, with its own, if it has fingers, whatever whatever appendage it's got, it did it with a, a leaf, like a, a little seed pod.
5: I think that whenever the, this first thing happened and, you know, my way to deal with it was to stay up all night, go to the beach, watch the sunset. And then I honestly, I there was a point there when the second thing happened, I kind of feel like I figured it out. Right. I'll just do this. It wouldn't have worked when school started because I couldn't stay up all night, but I'll just stay up and I'll be fine. And then I think it was to show me that I hadn't figured it out. It wasn't, it wasn't done. There was something and it's, I made the mistake of going back in that area. It's that area. I believe it's that area. It's a corner of the house, corner of the yard. There's something about it. Do you feel that, or do you have any feelings of why
3: it stopped? Or do you, like you said, I I know you just told us that uh, you were unfortunately expecting maybe something to happen with your own family, in your own house, with your kids. But when you were still living in the house and had stopped sleeping in the room, do you think there might be a reason or you have a feeling there might be a reason why
5: the activity trailed off? I think it's stuck. I think it's stuck in that area. I think there's a Mm. very, and I could tell you just from my, the places in the house, I felt comfortable it was not the dining room, and it was not my room. I mean, attics are creepy, but yeah. it was not the attic up there either. And certainly not that part of the yard. So I don't know. I think that if I'd gone back to my room, I think something else probably would have happened. And it was yeah. great. You know, the things happened gradually. I told the story pretty quick, but there was weeks and months of like weird of noises. Me waking up, thinking I heard something, having this dream, getting a little getting a little rattled so I don't you know something was building it didn't I think it had to build I don't uh, I don't know why but it had to build to a certain point and then it got to that point and it was capable of doing these things and I don't know so maybe if I went back it wouldn't part of me wants to go back there I want to go back I want to <laughs> yeah. like have the cameras and the things and see what happens <laughs> but I don't know it, it. I don't want it I don't want it to happen again either I don't Yeah. Know. and I don't want right. to stir up a hornet's nest yeah. yeah
4: i know that feeling
5: very common yeah. <laughs> expression you know something else this was the summer so it had been a while since halloween but i was a werewolf and i had the really foul smelling plastic you know rubber mask <laughs> i it can was smell pretty bad. it now yeah and the hands they came as a set and i went to try them on and i put the mask on i put the hands on i tripped over my dog and fell down the stairs <laughs> i broke my left Ugh. arm oh no I took a really crazy tumble because I couldn't, you know, the, the slits were like nothing.
0: Right. Right. And
5: I broke my arm and it was Halloween and oh. I didn't want to miss it. And I went trick-or-treating with a broken arm and I didn't <sighs> tell anyone. And my arm was flopping at my side.
0: Oh my God.
5: And I just held out the one hand and got the candy. And I couldn't, this is the thing, I couldn't imagine missing Halloween so I didn't tell anyone. And the next morning I got up and I said to my mother, I can't go to school. My arm's broken. <laughs> and she said, you know, bleep, it's broken. You weren't trick-or-treating last night and you're fine. Get to school. And she sent me to school and I went to school. And they were like, what's <sighs> wrong? And I said, my arm's broken. And they sent me to the nurse and they called my parents down. My parents got shamed. And I feel bad because it was actually kind of my fault. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but they dragged them down. They, you okay. know, they wagged their finger at them. It was that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that has something to do with it, but... Wow. I kind of forgot about that part of it when I originally wrote, but... Yeah, those gloves had, I don't know if I still had them, but uh, they stuck in my mind because that was very impactful. I mean, it was like a switch went on and... Uh, yeah, it just put me on a different track. In the history of our show and all the things we've come
4: across, I cannot recall a story of someone being A ported into another room. I can recall it even with the Sally House of devices going missing things happening on poltergeist stories you hear about, you know, remotes, keys, whatever, uh, something we threw out in the backyard, you turn around and it's back on the counter, that kind of stuff. But never a person going through this kind of experience. Uh, Forrest, do you have one that I'm not thinking of? No, but I'm saying there's another way to look
3: at this uh, with the physics is that yeah. this force move the boxes. Bill is still in a somnambulistic state and it opens the door, gets Bill to walk inside, then puts it back. I mean, that's yeah. I, I don't know what's easier. I mean, there's no rules here. That's the question is that maybe if you had a camera and that's the thing, you know, if you can go back in time, set up a night vision camera and see exactly what happened. You know, maybe you would see this, <laughs> the <laughs> ghost and Mr. Chicken Don Knotts, you know, the boxes jiggling through the air, they're getting moved and it makes a little bit more sense. But then again, Scott and I always talked about skinwalker ranch and the phenomena that happens there and that was the question it's said well you don't get any answers like well you know from the video that happened at um i think it was lookout tower four the cables get yanked out and those were heavily zip tied duct taped wrapped bnc connectors all that kind of stuff and in an instant everything's ripped out come undone And like, that's what we were wondering about. Like, would you see the tape being peeled off and and then something snapping the zip ties and then one by one that happens or does it happen instantaneously?
4: And we don't know. That's- Well, yeah. And the camera was only out for a second or two or a few frames or something like that. It was like, it went out and then when it came back, it was over.
5: You know, I wonder when I was out in the yard, for instance, like a neighbor could have looked out the window and what would they have- Yeah. What what would they have seen? Like, what would they have seen? I don't- What would, if I had a camera in my room, what would happen? The the thing that I think is weird is why the dream, the dream was part of it, the dream and the dream changing. Yeah. I feel like made that, made it possible for that to happen. I had this dream. It had to be dozens of times at that point, always the same. And then this one time it changed and that it made something possible. And I don't, what does that mean? I don't know, but it was like, I felt bad. In this dream, again, this is stuff I never... I I didn't really do this stuff to my sister Mm -hmm. in real life. Well, in my dream, I did. And then I felt bad, and I followed her. And something changed, and I think made it possible for that to happen. And I don't know why, but like that... Yeah, that moment, when I snapped awake, and I was... Yeah. I snapped from a dream, and I was in the same position, like everything. Somehow, I don't know. Either the dream reflected what was happening in reality... right. Or the reality reflected what was happening in the dream, but like it was, they're connected. I I'm sure of it because it had never happened before, and something changed that night. In the course
4: of your life, have you ever had um, prescient dreams since then, or any kind of th- connection between reality and your dreams since then?
5: No. It's funny because <laughs> this is a weird tangent, but like I get in the car and my kids are listening to a podcast for kids. And for some reason, even though this is a kids' podcast, they're talking about aphantasia and how you can't, you know, there's certain people who can't see things in their mind's eye. And I'm one of those people. And then it got, it made me super self conscious about that. So don't look into that if, if you right. don't want to feel self conscious. But it just made me realize that, like, I have dreams. I don't, I just, my dreams, and when I try to picture some of my mind, I just, I know I'm thinking about it or I know I'm dreaming about it. It's not a movie. But like this, this is, a this, there's imagery associated with this. I can recall this. I can recall that day that I had that dream. You know, I had the other, I had the earlier version of dream a lot, but this one, I can recall it. And it's, it's weird because I don't, whatever, other dreams are, I, I mean, I can't even picture like things I see every day really in my mind's eye, but. First of all, thank you so much for your story. It's a very
3: personal one, extremely impactful on your life and, and your childhood and, Was a disruptor to a usually peaceful childhood which you deserve everyone deserves but these things happen to throw a wrench in the works but my last question to you is do you think it's over do you you said you were hoping that nothing else happened to you or your family but do you have a real feeling that this is concluded that part of your life is done or has anything else just very slightly strange happened to make you think maybe it's never really left?
5: You know, little things, but in my heart, I believe that like this incident, this was yeah. tied to a place. And this is why, I mean, it's less scary. Maybe that's a way to rationalize it. It's a little less scary to think I've left it behind. Uh, but I don't know. It's scary too, to think that that's, there's some quality to that, to that little area. It was a small little area that, just let something strange like this happen. I would love to go back there I, I and mix feelings about it, but I would like to know a little more or see just something. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I haven't had things like this and I, I'm grateful for that. I mean, again, like kids come in and, you know, I'm like, I, I used to just be terrified. She was going to say something terrible. You know, my daughters would say something scary, but you know, well, I, th- I think I'm past. I, I think I'm past it. That's good to I'm hear. I'm not over it. <laughs> you don't seem over
3: <laughs> you know. it. And I don't blame you. In the world of the paranormal, I think a lot of the time, no news is good news. And we're glad that you have no new news on
4: this incident. Yeah. A second ago, you mentioned aphantasia. So are, you have aphantasia? Yes. And so for people that don't know, that that means that you have a hard time visualizing things in your mind's eye. Is that correct?
5: Yes. And I only, again, I only recently learned that this was the case, right? Because I, I my wife came to pick me up with the kids and they're in the middle of this podcast. And boy, that may, I mean, now I have this weird thing about it where I'm very self-conscious about it, but I do not even realize it was the thing, but you know, like they'll do a test where you say picture, you know, just imagine like a red heart. And I just, I don't know. I know I'm thinking about it. Right. But you don't see it. So I don't see it now. That makes this story in a lot of ways, even more interesting
4: because you were the components of your story. You are able to visualize what happened.
5: Yeah, I can see that that day. I can see it. I can that dream. I'll forget a lot of things in my life most likely, but I'm not I'll never forget that running down those stairs, going in there, feeling like I was trapped and then waking up. I snapped awake and I was there. I was I thought I was just the, I mean, I knew I was awake, but I thought that was it somehow I was in the, the dream. It didn't make sense I'd be trapped in that space because it wasn't a space that you could be closed up in in real life, but I didn't know what was happening but I'll never forget that. And I can't picture a, a heart <laughs> or like, or anything else. I um I feel bad, honestly.
4: It's nice to have you on. This story is very interesting. I think our listeners will be really interested in it, but I feel bad because I can see that you're still looking for answers. And it bothers me that we can't give you one right now because it's clearly still with you in a very pronounced way. And I want to say for us and our listeners, uh, it's a very personal experience, and it's very kind of you to come on and uh, open yourself up like that and share it with us and our in our audience. We really appreciate that.
5: I mm-hmm. like wrote this all down. It was very therapeutic to do that. It was very therapeutic. I had never, I told this story. You know, people start talking about ghost stories at parties and stuff, but like I had never. This was nice to do. My kids. This would scare them now, but there'll be some day when we can talk about this, and it's good. To, it's good to have it written down my, you know, I'll just get fuzzier on this as I get older. Yeah. So <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. I appreciate it. I thank you guys. Cause it was, it was helpful to write it down.
4: All right, folks, this next one. Well, this is going to hit home because it connects to one of the most popular topics we've ever covered. No spoilers. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Um, everybody
3: has their own favorites. Yes. We're just saying anecdotally, it's one that we've got a lot of comments about. And what's interesting though, is again, now that I have gone through 115 stories, yes, uh, read them all, cataloged them, sorted them. And what you notice is there are definite patterns. I think I might like to talk about that in a junk drawer, perhaps. Uh, just, I would love that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. The patterns that yeah. we've uh, come up with and things that are more prevalent and some things are very expected and obvious and others aren't. And in this case, this is not one that happens a lot, but I would say it's one of the top phenomena that scares people down to the core of their soul.
4: Speaking of the junk drawer and talking about the trends, also our guest from this story, Ted, is going to be joining us on one junk drawer. He already agreed to, we haven't set it up yet, but we will get him to one to talk a little bit more about the story. It turns out there's a lot more history to this location where this took place And we'll be getting into that, too, on a future Junk Drawer episode. But uh, you don't Mm. need to know that to know why this story is scary. So uh, I think that's it. Let's welcome Ted Fagan to the show. Sarah, roll it. Ted, why don't you just give
3: us some background, like what you were doing that night and hanging out with your friend, and uh, just give us the setup, and then uh, tell it as you feel comfortable in telling it. So this
1: was in June of two thousand. I was hanging out with a friend of mine. We'd spent time hanging out at uh, a local truck stop, drinking coffee, playing games, just passing the time as one does and driving around the valley after that. And at one point, we ended up going over to the university, hanging out at an area that everybody refers to locally as the big stairs. It's three main tiers of stairs, but there's two sets of stairs going up to each of the main central tiers. And we were just hanging out up there talking about the day, talking about what we're going to do going forward. My friend was about to turn 18 and about to move out of his parents' house. And at one point, this kid comes to the bottom of the stairs and just kind of looks up at us and sits down on the stairs, turns back at us, sits on the stairs, moves up a couple of stairs, sits down. And eventually, as this continues going, my friend calls down to the kid. He's like, hey, kid, what are you doing? He's like, don't worry about it. My mom's coming to get me. She'll be here soon. And something felt wrong. I couldn't really explain it. And this continues on. He gets up the first full set to the first tier on the stairs. And my friend asks him a couple more times. I'm not even really able to focus on conversation that we're having at this point. Because there's something that is really off-putting. And he keeps asking him what you're doing. And he's like, my mom's coming to get me. You know, Don't worry about it. It's going to be over soon. And that's something from the stories that I was introduced to with you guys started really standing out when I was listening to that series that my son introduced me to you with. And when he was a little over halfway up the staircase, my friend was talking to him again, and the kid looked up, and that's when I it really set in what was going on. It struck me there's something off about the behavior of that kid. He's coming up these stairs away from the roads. There is no road up there that mom can come and get him at. There is no reason for mom to be coming to get this kid. It's after one in the morning. And that's when I saw his eyes. I didn't know that this was a thing. I'd never heard of black-eyed kids before that. What I referred to it that night when I told my friend, we have to go now was I said, the kid has dead eyes. Just term I came up with in the moment, there was nothing there, I don't know if they were black, I don't know if the sockets were empty, but it wasn't a trick of the shadows, his face was illuminated, and it's like, the dread that I'd felt that I couldn't explain just set in at that moment, and I told my friend, we have to leave immediately, and she's asking why. I was like, look at that kid, he's got dead eyes he's pretty terrified at that point, too. I'm like, we have to back away. And as soon as he's out of sight, run. And we backed away. The kid's looking at us, and we're just backing slowly. And as soon as he's out, we ran as quick as we could, heading back towards my parents' house. I looked over my shoulder at one point, And this is where it diverges from all the stories that I'd heard in your series on Black-Eyed Kids. I looked back, and he was at the top of the stairs on all fours and it looked like he was running on all fours I didn't want to spend a lot of time looking back over my shoulder because that's going to slow me down and I did look over my shoulder again a moment later just to confirm that in fact this roughly eight year old child is running like on all fours at me and he's going about the same pace that we are I can't explain it (laughs) and there's really about no reason to we weren't far from my parents' house, and my friend wants to cut down this side path that goes through some trees. It used to be a driveway to somebody else's house, I think, but it's not used anymore, and I was like, no, stay on the light. And I did not think the light was going to protect us in any way, any shape, any form, but as I said to him, there might be others, and that was another thing that stood out with the black-eyed kid stories is it sounds like they frequently come in pairs. And... I think I probably made a good choice that night. But I just made sure we stayed in the light and it was only really about a half mile further to take that route to get back to my parents' house, but I figured we'd at least be able to see anything that may be there. We got there, got in the house, locked the door. My room was down in the basement and we went down in the basement and hung out down there and tried to watch movies to pass time and... My friend's wanting to go home. He's like, I'm going to go. It's like, you know what's out there? There There's some scratching that we're hearing on the window down into the basement. And that was something that also set in pretty good that you guys had discussed across your series, what you refer to as paranormal fatigue, people just kind of forgetting about it. And even right in the moment, he was ready to go right back out there (laughs) with uh, what we had just seen. I kept reminding him, and he left in the morning when the sun was up, but uh, we'd never actually talked about it after that. Like I said, he was about to turn 18, and he, right after that event, had turned 18, moved out of his parents' house, and over to another town. But after I re-listened to the series a little while back, I sent him a message over a uh, messenger and asked if he remembered it, and I didn't want to jog his memory, I didn't want to try and lead him, because, you know, Adding details and something that's, you know, in the distant past or even recent past, you can change people's remembrances. But he didn't recall what I was talking about. And I gave him a couple of details. And he was like, This sounds familiar. Can you tell me anything more? And I was like, It was this kid on the big stairs. And you kept talking to him and he was saying his mom's coming. He's like, I remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. It was like there was something about his eyes. And that's when he messaged me back. He's like, I remember it now. (laughs) I remember that. I've got goosebumps. How did I forget that? It was a very spooky event. And how one person can forget it, (laughs) and yet the other person have that be a pretty big event in their life. It's interesting to me.
4: Forrest and I, obviously, we read it when you sent it in a few days ago. And I thought I would have this whole line of questions, but I'm just like, honest to God, I'm just kind of agape at this story. Do you remember what he was wearing, what he looked like, just physically, hair,
3: skin tone? From my recollection, I can't tell you if it was shorts
1: or pants, but it was either blue jeans or blue denim shorts. It was a red t-shirt. I can't tell you what shade of brown hair, but the hair was definitely not black. Skin tone, he was not
3: pasty, about eight years old. When he said, this will be over soon, did you immediately get any internal impression in your mind, subconscious, whatever you want to call it, of what that was going to be? What his purpose was, what he wanted? All I know
4: is it felt wrong. How close was the closest that he got to you guys?
1: If I were to throw a rock
4: at where he was
1: on the stairs to where we were at the top balcony there, within 20 feet, where we backed away and we started running, again, I didn't look back a lot, but he was probably about 25 yards. How would you describe the gait of the running? I didn't spend a lot of time looking, but it wasn't like primates. When primates are running on all fours, it's usually a front leg back leg front leg back leg what it appeared like and it was really unnerving it's like the back left leg and the front right arm are moving and then the front left arm and the back right
3: leg it, it spider-like it was gnarly not like a baboon right not like a primate or you might see a a chimp run with their yeah because yeah that that's a specific gait. So, Ted, on these stairs, and we've seen a picture of them, and they're a lot more gothic and creepy than I had imagined when I first read your story. I was picturing, I don't know, stairs at a Motel 6, you know, with different landings. These are classical-looking stairs, and at the bottom is not a parking lot so much or what you would expect. It's kind of park-like, right?
1: It actually spills out onto the street. Okay. I can't remember what cross street it is there but I believe it spills right out onto 7th.
3: No, I think that's 9th in La Grande. And when you get to the top of the second part or third part of the staircase, where does that lead to? That's another elevated piece of land, right?
1: Yeah, immediately behind the balcony that my friend and I were on is one of the oldest, if not the oldest buildings at the university called Inlow Hall. And beyond that, it's flat and then begins to taper off little bit downhill into the rest of the university.
4: I can see here Inlow Hall, I-N-L-O-W, built in 1929. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. And when I look at the staircases too, it reminds me a little bit of a, there's a landing at the Biltmore House, not on the house itself, but at the back end of the gardens in the front that has a similar structure, which people recognize it anytime you watch a movie and there's some rich person in a giant, Palatial mansion. It's that same sort of design of the two steps coming up to the landing and wrapping around. Or what? It's it's a familiar thing when you look at it. But here's uh, here's something I did note just while uh, you and Force were talking. That type of running. My mom used to ride horses, and I was thinking about the difference in the different types of gaits that horses have. And that's a trot, technically, when the diagonal legs move in pairs. And there's a point at which all four legs are off the ground. But technically, this whatever it was. And I, I thought it was very telling how you said it. You just kept saying it. You did not say this little boy or whatever you said it. It would have been trotting and, and going quick enough to keep up with, uh, if your friend was 18, you're probably close to that age. You guys are like at the prime of running fast teenage kids, right? And this thing is following you, trotting on all fours, trying to catch up to you.
1: Absolutely. It was absolutely terrifying and it did not remain a young child in my mind for very long. Everything seemed wrong about what was happening. That's another thing about the Black-Eyed Kid stories is just something feels off. For not even a half a second, if things were normal around that creature, I would have known. You know, Eight-year-old child, it's after one. I know what time it is. I know that this is wrong, but it felt like there was a fog around it and I'm trying to figure out what it is
3: and why I don't know. Then it clicked. When you went back to your house and your friend were in the basement, and I'm picturing a basement, it's kind of a daylight window or basement window that lets some daylight in, right? A little bit. It goes to the outside, the basement window. When I grew up, it would be a a window well. Some basement windows I've seen, they they rise above. You don't have a, a, a well. I guess what I'm getting at is that, did you sense or did you know that this thing is outside scratching at the window?
1: Oh, yeah. I heard its feet moving in the
3: rocks. There was something there. And we're talking about the rocks that are just right outside the window, not a window well.
4: Or is it in a well or on the ground?
1: It's a little window well that dropped down. I don't remember if it was uh, metal or rock Mm -hmm. that went down into it, but there were rocks down there. I heard it when it jumped down and like
3: the beat made contact. It's like, oh. You and your friend chose to kind of ignore that and just watch movies on VHS and play video games. Yep. Wait for the sun to come up. Not going to be sleeping. Was your friend not quite as freaked out as you?
1: In the moment when we were up there, he was. Yeah. When we were running, he was. But basically, as soon as we got behind a door, it was just face changed, calm, not afraid you're safe now doors locked but no it's just outside and and that's the other thing too i mean i saw how fast this thing was moving and it was out there and and that one of the things that you say for us the rules it was scratching at the window i guarantee you that thing had the strength to get through it yeah but it can't that's part of the rules is what it felt like it's like if we stay here it's not going to be able to do anything right now
4: do you think it was human
1: I do not think that it was human and if it was human i don't know how it was doing what it was doing and why its eyes were either that color or absent no i don't think it was human
3: of course the first thing i thought about when i read the window scratching portion of this was danny glick in salem's lot by stephen king and that Scene stuck with me, but you're talking about the rules and the rules are, you have to open the window for them and invite them in. And this thing could have kicked in the glass, but it had to stop that far. And, and I think, like I said earlier, it's a coping mechanism to say, we're just going to pretend it's not there and get on with drinking Cokes and having Doritos and, and just yeah. our young person evening here into the morning. But it didn't really stop until the sun came up. Yep did you feel a sense of relief? Like, like a vampire, like the sun's up. Okay. No, no,
1: actually much like the whole stay in the light. I didn't think that was going to keep us safe. I just knew I'd be able to see it easier. Of course, nighttime brings a lot more questions about what's out there in the darkness that I can't see. And can it see me? But I, I have no reason to believe that whatever this thing is and, Now understanding that other people have seen these things, pluralized, I have no reason to believe that they wouldn't be there in the daytime. It's complicated for me, because I'm very curious, I've always been very curious about what is there, what is not there, what's provable, what's non-provable. And that was one of, if not the most frightening experiences I've ever had in my life, and I'd like to know what it was, and I'm interested, and I have a strange desire to see something like that again, but when it comes down to it, if I had an opportunity to know if I went to this place at this time, I'd see one and maybe figure out what it was, I would absolutely not go there. (laughs) I'd allow it to happen on accident again.
4: Have you been back to the staircase, to the grand staircase, or the big stairs, I guess? You said the locals call them the big staircase.
1: Yep. I've been there several times over the years. After dark? Less often. (laughs) It's not a destination to hang out anymore. They're in disrepair now. They have been for several years. Uh, They're fenced off at the top and at the bottom, which is kind of surprising to me because, I mean, it is a big feature that has always stood out about that town in that area is you know in low hall that big staircase there but people they haven't spent the money to repair the staircase despite the fact that the university itself is uh thriving and growing it's not a priority i guess
4: how did it make you feel when your son uh and thanks to him by the way <laughs> for listening to us and turning you on to us <laughs> How did it make you feel when you heard that series, or or more specifically, when you heard Brian Bethel, who's one of the first guys on record with one of these stories, tell his story? What was that like for you when you were listening? It's very
1: strange. I
4: felt vindicated (laughs) to know that this is
1: a thing that others have seen and terrified to know that there's more of them out there. I honestly thought up until that point that it was only me and my friend who'd ever seen this kind of real life monster. And that's absolutely what I feel it was, was that that was a moment that I knew there are monsters out there. I can't explain what it is. And until we know what it is, then that's all it's going to be to me is some horrifying monster that something chasing after you like that and, and, and being like, don't worry, it's going to be over soon. That can't be anything other than ill intent. If it wasn't ill intent, it would express what it's trying to do, not give you this story of mom's coming for me.
4: I'm non-threatening. I'm coming at you. (laughs) Prior to that, what was your stance on paranormal events and ghosts, monsters, UFOs, cryptids, Bigfoot, whatever? Where were you before that? How did that change your view? And where are you now in hindsight all these years later?
1: When I was little... I spent a great portion of my years before I turned eight living in my grandfather's house where there was paranormal activity and we would spend a lot of time there when we were out of school. And there, there was always paranormal activity there. I don't want to say a haunting because I don't know what it was, but I do know at that house doors would open and close, lock and unlock, lights would turn on and off, the television would turn on and off things would move that weren't supposed to be there, got locked in the stairwell a couple of times when nobody else was at the house but me. There were weird things that would happen there. i never experienced anything significant, maybe a couple of things that would stand out, but nothing like that anywhere else other than at his house. I know that there's stuff out there, but I I can't really speak as to what it is. Cryptids, not going to write them off. (laughs) I wouldn't say that I'm believer in everything that I hear but there is certainly some things that do make sense much like my eldest brother said the other day I know that there were experiences that I had when I was younger but sometimes when I hear other people tell those stories I just think oh no I take it all with a grain of salt but there are certain things out there that I know I know have to be real because I've been there
4: that's going to wrap up part two of your true halloween stories join our patreon to hear us on the much more candid astonishing junk drawer which most of the time we do live on video for our patrons
3: astonishing legends is edited by sarah Voorhees wendell at vw sound and co-produced by tess Feifel who is also head of research and the social media manager. Our technical producer is Ed Vakola, or as we call him, The Mechanic. Special thanks to our announcer, John Boland. Hi, I'm Patrick Wallace. This is Dustin uh, Komorsky. I give permission to Astonishing Legends. To Astonishing Legends. Galaxy-wide in perpetuity. Sure. A-L-L-R-I-C-K-A-C-E.
4: Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane at Foundermusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia.
3: Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and
4: YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at deadstreetproductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request, to AstonishingContact at gmail.com.
3: Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at AstonishingLegends.com or interact with us and other
4: listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also visit us at Patreon.com slash AstonishingLegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show Astonishing Junk Drawer, which is available every week the main show is not. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night.